You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. We're in the final week of April. So a lot of people in the investment world say things like, well, sell in May, go away. And invariably it doesn't happen. Or in recent years, it hasn't really happened. But what about this year? Is there a perfect storm? People keep on saying to me, the perfect storm, i.e. there's a war in Europe on the fringes of Europe, but a war in Europe nonetheless. Inflation is at multi-decade highs in places like the United Kingdom and the United States of America. Interest rates are rising slightly more rapidly than many people predicted. Uh, The World Bank is warning against uh, humanitarian disaster because of rising food prices and a shortage of food in some countries. And that's because of, well, everything I've just spoken about, but also uh, because of supply chain constraints. There's still the lingering COVID story and certain previously almost impenetrable Darlings of of stock exchanges like, for example, Netflix suddenly coming under pressure. So in all, uh, a perfect storm. It's not a perfect storm, but it's certainly uh, getting a bit gusty out there. With me is John Stockford, head of multi-asset income at 91 in London. Am I being melodramatic when it comes to the fact that sell in May and, and go away might actually work this year, John? No, not particularly. I mean, I think that there's lots of reasons to be circumspect, to be cautious about markets, although possibly that in itself tells you that there's a reasonable amount priced in. So to our minds, you know, the most positive aspects of markets are um, that actually there's quite a lot of fear out there. Um, And that generally isn't an environment where markets sell off dramatically. But certainly the risks we think of recession have risen. And I think that's sort of, again, uh, somewhat priced in to markets. But the central case, I think, still is that we're close to the peak in inflation. A lot of the bad news in terms of future interest rate increases is now expected by the markets we have seen a period of consolidation and, and, and weakness in quite a lot of stocks and bond markets. And actually, the underpins for growth are still pretty strong. Balance sheets came out of the pandemic uh, in the best shape they've been in for, for probably some decades. So um, I, I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I, I think you just need to be a bit more selective, a little bit more thoughtful and a bit more nimble. So prepared to adapt um, as new information becomes available. So you believe that inflation has in fact peaked, despite the fact that the Commodity Research Bureau Index seems to go to new highs almost every couple of days. You do think that the momentum is slowing in that regard, and therefore we might also have every interest rate rise that has been spoken about already factored in by the market. Well, I think increasingly we're likely to see the highest inflation readings for the next year or so, either we've already seen them possibly in the US and over the next few months uh, in places like um, Europe. Mm. And and it's really because inflation is essentially um, about year-on-year price increases. So prices may not fall back very much, but if they stop rising at the kind of precipitous rates we've seen, then inflation will fall. And I think in some areas we may see prices fall back. So there are whole, I think you can break inflation down into three elements and, it, and they sort of all explain why we've got to where we've got to. So the first thing we saw was a mismatch between demand and supply as we came out of the pandemic. 
So people had lots of money to spend. They couldn't go to restaurants. They couldn't get on planes. So they just ordered stuff online, you know, new garden furniture, new office equipment, etc. Um, new cars they bought because they weren't going to get on public transport. And so you saw a massive increase in goods prices as demand basically outpaced supply. Those kind of effects, I think, will fade uh, as economies normalize, as supply catches up, as demand softens a bit. Um, and so goods prices, things like used car prices are already coming down. So you may see some softening in prices there. The second element that has been building underneath that is labour markets are tight. And so wage demands have been strong. And that probably continues. But whether it goes up a lot from here, I guess we'll have to see. I think there are quite a few indicators that suggest that at least some of that isn't going to get a lot worse. And it's not really been on the same scale as the sort of good goods price inflation we've seen. And then the final element has been clearly linked to uh, some of that supply demand mismatch, but more the war in Ukraine and the impact that that's had on supply of things like energy and food. And so you've had a massive commodity price boom uh, that's just sort of extended the whole thing. That clearly, you know, I think those kind of problems aren't going to resolve themselves quickly. But unless the Russians turn off the gas taps, that supply will probably find its way, or most of it, to markets that are prepared to buy Russian oil and gas. Similarly, you know, food farmers will plant more in response and so on. And, And yes, prices will be higher than they were, but they may not keep going up, at least at the same rate. So, you know, our, our simple view is that something like US inflation could easily fall back towards, not necessarily to the kinds of targets that central banks have over the next 12 months. Central banks are still going to be raising rates because they're so far, far behind the curve. But we are now at a point where, you know, expectations of inflation probably can start to soften or come back a bit from elevated levels expectations of rate increases are pretty much where we think they should be. So the Fed raising rates towards 3% relatively quickly. So I think a lot is now priced into markets. I don't think you're necessarily going to see things resolve themselves quickly, but I think a lot of the bad news is, is known. Okay, so are you saying that at 91, and let's face it, you are a major and very large asset management company. Have you looked at this and said, okay, we understand the geopolitics of what's going on. We do understand that inflation is rising. But on the other hand, given what you've just said, John, you've sat on your portfolio and said, it will pass and uh, we have to just ride out the storm, not the perfect storm that I was describing in my rather elaborate introduction, but you've said nothing has changed. We will stick to our core principles and everything will be all right in the end. And it's not sell in May and go away. In fact, it might even be buy in May and have a lovely day. Well, I think you just need to weigh up what's priced into different assets. So, and then the balance of risk. So the point I'm making is not that the world is riskless. I think there are definitely, you know, there is a risk that we might go into recession next year if the environment continues to, to deteriorate, if people stop spending because their pocketbooks are being squeezed too much by higher prices. There are definitely risks, but it's about weighing up the risks. And I think our, our view is that they're not all one way. There's uncertainty, but it's not you know, slam dunk that inflation carries on going up, that markets collapse from here and so on. And the extent, the more that gets priced in, the more 
inclination is probably to go somewhat the other way. But it's more about then looking for individual securities that have moved too much already, or at least move more than other securities and, and price in a better risk reward. So there are definitely places in the bond market, there are definitely places in the equity market, where we think even if inflation remains problematic, their price for that, and if it improves, then you know they can do relatively well. I want to talk about something that's probably almost as important from a financial services point of view, an investment point of view, that's maybe even as important as the war on the fringes of of Europe, and that is the change in human behaviour. And I'll give you a silly example. It may not be silly, but it's pertinent. I spoke to a person, a woman that works at a very large investment bank in London about an interview, and she said to me, "Okay, Lindsay, I'm still in my pyjamas. I'm going to go for a shower and then maybe go for a walk around the park and then I'll I'll come back. And I saw something on the BBC a couple of days ago that talked about the fall in cosmetic sales. People are not making themselves up as much as they used to. So do you as a fund manager, a fund management company, a big fund management company say to yourselves, human behavior is changing and therefore we're investing in human beings because that's that's what you do. You invest in human behavior at the end of the day. Do you have a look at these things and sit down every day and say, people are not now streaming as much, people are not now buying as much makeup and therefore this changes trends, whether it be an inflation trend or a consumer-led trend. Do you see where I'm going? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say those kind of things maybe happen faster now than they used to, but they've always been part of the background. New new things come uh, become available. Uh, you know, buying patterns change. You know, I don't think that's a, something new. I think what, what's important is to try and understand uh, the extent to which some of the changes that may have happened during the pandemic are temporary versus permanent and then also the extent to which i'm just you know trends are developing so i think if you've been involved in technology you've been involved in lots of well pretty much any industry over time you know you've had to be able to try and understand how trends are adapting and, and what's priced in and to react accordingly we think you know for example there are plenty of companies where Actually, you know, their demand has held up pretty well. Their pricing power is pretty good. They look not too impacted by, you know, the squeeze on incomes that we real incomes that we've seen and actually are, are pretty safe places to earn resilient income, which is what we care about. So, yes. you know, some of the staples companies, if you're selective, that have pricing power where demand um, looks to be holding up, where consumer buying patterns if anything, are working in their favour, you know, those are areas where we think you can earn a decent return and compound decent dividends over time uh, and do pretty well. Clearly, there are other places where, you know, they they may be falling out of favour. They may not be able to maintain pricing. Their margins may be under pressure and so on, where, you know, the same doesn't apply. So, you know, Unilever is a business that um, we used to own and have become concerned about their ability to absorb and pass on costs versus somebody like Nestle that we think and you know, recent results suggest has been able to do that very comfortably. So, you know, you do need to think about how things are, how different businesses are being impacted, how they sell and what they're doing is likely to be impacted by 
changing consumer patterns. Okay, you've been very specific. You've mentioned Nestle versus uh, Unilever. You're head of multi-asset income at 91 in London. Has your strategy or your asset allocation changed at all over the last couple of years and even condensing time even more to the last few months when a war has broken out? Has anything changed or are you sticking to your guns? Oh, absolutely. You know, we're, we're active. Things change all the time, both bottom-up security selection and asset selection. So, for example, we have been pretty defensively positioned in developed market government bonds and, and rates where we think, you know, rates earning large negative real yields aren't really the place to earn attractive returns. And I think that's proven to be the case. However, we're now getting to a point where some of those markets look like they're pricing in pretty aggressive monetary policy and risk reward is starting to look more interesting. So, you know, to name some bond markets, somewhere like New Zealand has sold off offers essentially the highest nominal and pretty much highest real yields of any major developed market. And you've started to see rate increases there. They can't go too far because they have a housing market that's pretty sensitive to rates and so we think they won't raise rates as far as the US, but they offer a higher yield, for example. Somewhere like South Korea, you've got, again, we think an economy that actually has big structural issues in terms of raising interest rates because it's got an aging population that is basically lowering trend growth. They've started to raise rates. The market's priced in much higher rates, and we just don't think they're going to get realised, and it's a good place to earn some yield uh, going forward. So you've got examples like that in bond markets. Uh, we tended to be pretty cautious on corporate credit, though. You know, that's basically that priced in no risk premium relative or very little risk premium relative to government bonds. That hasn't really changed very much. So you don't earn a lot if everything goes well, but you can lose a lot if things go badly. And then within equity markets, you know, we've tended to become a little bit more cautious, well, more cautious for a while on tech. Uh, and I think that sort of bubble particularly linked to the pandemic and unwind a bit further but then you know places like financials have become more interesting now that we're back in a, a sort of positive yield environment so yes i think adapting the, the portfolio as opportunities come and go is basically our bread and butter John, very interesting perspective, very interesting analysis. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with me. That is John Stockford, Head of Multi-Asset Income at 91 in London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.